going on everybody welcome into another edition of the daily energy news beat stand-up here on this gorgeous wednesday september 13th 2023 as always i'm your humble correspondent michael tanner coming to you from an undisclosed location here in dallas texas joined by the executive producer of the show the purveyor of the show and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website energynewsbeat.com Stuart turley my man how we doing today it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood and i mean i'm running ragged dude there's so much going on there is a lot going on. We have an absolutely banger of an episode lined up for you guys. First up on the menu, gas prices jump as Australian LNG workers begin partial strikes at key Chevron sites. Next up, top climate scientist drops bombshell wildfires caused by World Economic Forum arsonists, not global warming. So interesting. Looks like we've got cow shop running around lighting fires. So Stu will dive into what uh, this top climate scientist is saying. Next up, Alberta enters global lithium race with opening a first extraction pilot project, sticking along that lithium tone, becoming home abroad. Lithium deposit found in U.S. may be amongst world's largest, according to a new study. That would be absolutely awesome. Then we will then jump over and quickly cover what's going on in the oil and gas markets. Um, oil did to, to above 89 today. We've settled down 88.76. Um, we did see crude oil inventories come. Amazon does an interesting deal. Um, with an oxy subsidiary, and then BP's got a new CEO, or will in, in in a bit. So we will cover all that and a bag of chips, guys. But first, as always, check us out on the world's greatest website, www.energynewsbeat.com. It's where all this news and analysis comes from. Stu and the team does a great job of keeping that up to speed with everything that you need to know to stay on top of the energy business. You can hit us up and interact with the show questions at energynewsbeat.com. You could check out our data news combo product dashboard.energynewsbeat.com. Team is hard at work at V2. We appreciate all the efforts there. You can subscribe to the show, which is the best way um, to show your support. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube at Energy Newsbeat. Hit that subscribe button. If I was a 16-year-old YouTuber, I'd say smash that like button, but I will uh, refrain from doing that and just say, it's again, it's that's the best way to support the show. We appreciate it. Um, again, interact with the show. Questions at EnergyNewsbeat.com. Check out the description below. You can see all the links to the articles we're about to talk about. You can also uh, interact with the show that way, and you'll see links um, on how to contact Stu and I directly. I'm out of breath, though, Stu. Where do you want to begin? Hey, let's start going around the world here. Uh, gas prices jump as Australian LNG workers begin partial strikes at key Chevron st- uh, sites. Hey, Michael, uh, part of this is also in the L- offshore LNG yep. uh, facility. Remember the one that is over a billion dollar facility and they closed it because of an electrical wire in the bathroom, uh, whatever mm-hmm. it was. We covered this a while ago. So you got to sit back and kind of go. There's another story that follows along with this. Members of the Offshore Alliance Group said they will stop work completely for two weeks starting September 14th. The start of the industrial action marks the accumulation of weeks-long discussions. What they're looking at, uh, Japan is going to be the biggest person hurt uh, by this because they're the biggest buyer from Chevron's Australian plants. You know, that's going to mean a big difference right now. Dutch front gas traded up 11% 
uh, a megawatt hour at 36.34 euros and 11.43 million uh, per million uh, BTU. Uh, unbelievable what this cost. While Europe never receives fuel from Australia, but they curbed uh, LNG shipments to Asia would raise competitive alternative cargoes. Yeah, I wish we could dive in more and see exactly what they were striking over, because, you know, I'm sometimes for these these strikes when you've just got a raw deal. I mean, I rem- you, you, we remember the, the the railroad deal at the union. They they, they didn't get any PTO time or any ability to take time off during their shifts. And so there are sometimes when you're set up in a bad system, Stu, I'm not completely against striking if you're trying to get yourself at least a basic okay deal. So I want to know a little bit more about this deal before I go go ahead and condemn the strike. But you're absolutely right. Japan's about to get smoked here. I did not know that that's where they sourced the majority of their LNG. I figured it was coming from the U.S., Oh, no. Uh, Here it is. The other article I had on this today was the partial strikes include work stoppages and bans on carrying out overtime and some other duties. Members of the Offshore Alliance, a group with two key unions, say they plan. Okay, we already heard that one. Whatever those other duties are, I'm interested because sometimes... You know, in an article trying to get you in favor of one way is going to, you know, oh, yada, it's that Seinfeld episode and uh, yada, yada, yada. I ended up at my ex-boyfriend's house in the morning. This one is producer asked the Fair Work Commission to make interact. Uh, They wanted Chevron asked the bargaining uh, group to step in. So here's Chevron with their big hammer, Thor. Boom, trying to hit the smack the little guy. I agree with you. I got to hear about these uh, World Economic Forum arsonists. Let's go on to the next one. Okay. You know, I'm a big fan of Klaus Schwab. Yep. You're on the the board of directors of the World Economic Forum. I am now. And uh, yeah, he and I got into a little bit of a tussle. Uh, I'm not eating bugs. Yeah. Top climate scientist drops a bombshell. Wildfires caused by WEF arsonist, not global warming. I I thought this was not a rumor. And and I'll tell you why here in a sec. Uh, Slaynews.com reports, Brown said editors at Nature and Science, two of the most prestigious uh, scientific journals, climate papers that support certain pre-approved narratives. Um, When you sit back and take a look, did you see the fires in Canada uh, being as they were starting popping up all over Canada and the helicopters were dropping napalm. And I, I mean, that to me is, okay, wait a minute. How does that happen? And then you sit back and kind of go, he pointed out research proves 80% of wildfires are ignited by humans. Global change, climate change is happening. And it's because of mankind's evil twin brother is going through and burning the place down. Brown admits that he has faked his own studies to get the papers published in big journals, prestigious journals. Climate warming, here's an example he gave. Climate warming increases extreme daily wildfires in California. Michael, I was, I'm trying to get this wildfire expert guy on the podcast. I reached out to him. He has... He has investigated for the last seven years wildfires in California. Mm -hmm. Three of 4,000 were set 
by uh, weather, by a lightning strike or something. Really? Three. And then he started describing things that were pretty frightening that, that of these three, the cars that were burnt in there shattered, the glass shattered. He said so many of the others were melted. What's the difference between shattered and melted? The heat level, right? Or an explosion? Exactly. It is exactly 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit for a regular fire. And how much? 2,500 degrees for these other ones that were started by some mean. Go figure that out. Yeah, I'm just... Uh, I, I'm not. I, I find it interesting, one, that this guy admits to faking papers. It's also crazy. He made this other quote. I figure once you admit to faking papers, you might as well go so far as to say this. I love this quote. To put it bluntly, climate scientist or science has become less about understanding the complexities of the world and more about serving as a kind of Cassandra urgently warning the public about the dangers of climate change. However understandable this instinct may be, it distorts a great deal of climate science research, misinforms folks, and most importantly, makes practical solutions more difficult to achieve, which is what Bjorn Lomberg um, has right. talked about, who is one of my favorite speakers on this issue. So it makes the even economic solutions look horrible because you're not a good person. That is right. Now, this is fire and fury. I, I've even showed this a few times over at... Um, you know, Maui, Maui was on the 8th. This was available on the 6th. I bought it on the 10th and it showed up on my doorstep on the 11th. How in the world do you get a book about a fire in print in Amazon ready to go two days? And you know what's funny? They sit back, Michael, and they go um, sitting there and they go, the National Guard realized that there was trouble and they jumped to their cars and went and helped. That's not how the National Guard works. It was two weeks afterwards and they have to be appointed by the governor and say, go do this. There was nothing in here. They were wrong. If you're going to steal a, a time machine, get it right. Yeah. So, so okay. in conclusion on that one, we hope former senior lecturer at John Hopkins, Patrick Brown, we appreciate his contribution. But um, as I mentioned, you'll probably be former senior lecturer at John Hopkins oh, yeah. here soon. All right. What's next? Let's talk about lithium. Absolutely wonderful. Alberta enters global lithium race with opening first extraction pilot project. This is really cool. Uh, without forsaking our past, the lithium industry opens up a whole new industry using our skill set. This is EMP operators, the opportunity to be a global leader and make Alberta a lithium jurisdiction is really truly here. The cool thing about this, Michael, is that, that we're using EMP systems. You're pulling the lithium out of oil and gas water that you're drilling. And Mark Lancaster, who I have interviewed on our podcast before. Love me some Mark Lancaster. Love us some Mark. And uh, turning uh, black, black gold, you know, green, whatever. Yeah, gold, black gold, whatever. He's got a great slogan. I can't remember it right now. But anyway, hey. Great he, promo for Mark Lancaster. Oh, I'm, I'm going to shoot myself after this. I'm going to shoot myself and then I'm going to shoot you. 
Okay, the facility could do 150,000 tons of uh, per year of battery grade lithium, he said. Here's where it is really, really cool. I think the oil and gas companies are very closely watching the lithium space. I'll tell you what, this is huge as far as I'm concerned. The critical mineral industry will build off the oil and gas industry that we're best known for. Liberty Frack. All these other companies are going to get into the lithium game, Michael. Yeah, we know pioneers stripping lithium out of their water. Everyone wants to get in on it. I, what I'm interested really is this next story, Stu. As much as I love Canada, USA, USA, we might have yes. the largest lithium deposit. Absolutely. Uh, this is in a uh, extinct volcano. It exists in the McDermott Caldera, a caldera 28 miles long and 22 miles wide, 20 to 40 million metric tons of lithium, a figure that would dwarf deposits in Chile and Australia. Wow. This is amazing. Uh, this is obviously worthy of exploration. Definitely not worth changing anybody's midterm plan yet. Uh, here's the question the is who owns this? So uh, much like, I mean, somebody's got to own it, right? There's right. someone must have been dealt the reserves. So who owns this caldera? Uh, it's uh, along the Nevada, Oregon border, which is the uh, world's largest. Now, here's the here's the problem, Michael. We need lithium now. We need lithium badly. And we yeah, this need won't be ready for 10 years. 15. Okay. We can't get a oh, nuclear reactor. Even after permitting, it takes another 10 years to get a mine rolling. I mean, this is not something that you can do. I'm so excited about the EMP in the water and being able to get a lithium immediately out of production. That's cool to me. Yeah. Love us anyway. some scientists doing sciencey things. Um <laughs> Sciency things. Is that what you learned at the school of mines? Yep. Sciency things. Yeah, okay. just you so, do a little science and, and it just seems to work out. Was your finance degree in finance? C finance? Yeah, it was being financy. 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. It was it was, it was easy. You got anything else in the news? Nah, just we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, um, that we will. We'll, we'll quickly cover what happened in the markets today. S&P dropped about a half a percentage point. NASDAQ tumbles 1.1 percentage point off the back of Apple re releasing the iPhone 15. Stu, they're moving to the USB-C. Thoughts on that? Absolutely about time. That, yeah, 12 years too late, or was it 2012 when they first came out with the lightning port? Did you see, I mean, we'll get into oil first, but did you see they came out with an adapter from lightning to USB-C? <laughs> we'll be buying that one for sure. Um, but I digress, guys. Oil up to 88.82 as we record this about 6.30 here actually on the 12th. Oil got all the way up above 89.19, really off the back of, a ba of an OPEC uh, update that says, yeah, things are still going to be really tight. They go ahead and uh, announce that um, for 2024, they believe 2.25 million barrel per day average, which would be monthly record oil demand, which would surpass and outstrip what we're currently doing today. And that's a 2.2 million barrel um, rise in um, 
um, oil and gas um, demand, not necessarily the total. You know, to give you guys an idea, the IEA has about global oil demand set at about 99.2 million barrels per day in 2022. They expect it to rise to 101 million barrels per day in 2023 and 102.3 in 2024. So that OPEC number probably is going to fall in that 102, 103 range, which is going to be and, above the guidance um, that the IEA, you know, and, we love us some OPEC analysts. Of course, they're going to be bullish. We, I'm sure our Goldman Sachs friends are are helping out the analysis there. Um, hey, Michael, another reason quick, we saw uh, oil... I, sorry. Uh, the IEA also came out with a report saying that it was just absolutely hilarious. That peak oil, I said peaker. Was peak oil, ago? yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's only, it's going to come in four years. Yeah, I'll take the over on that one. And we're betting that. Put twenty on the over. We also saw the API. They came out and dropped their uh, their forecast of the EIA's weekly crude oil reserve uh, stock uh, portfolio. They think and estimate that stocks will rise by one point one million barrels. Um, we saw that yesterday or as we're recording this today at 2 p.m., you'll hear as you listen to this on Wednesday um, what the IEA, whether they confirm or deny that number. Two interesting stories. First, Amazon buying carbon credits from Oxy in order to, what? We're not quite sure. News out of uh, Houston today, 1.5, which is a Oxy subsidiary, which is a carbon capture utilization and sequestration company, um, today announced that Amazon has agreed to purchase 250 thousand metric tons of carbon dioxide removal credits over the next 10 years. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Their uh, Amazon's purchase and long-term contract prevents a significant commitment to direct air capture's vital carbon solution. The real question is what's Amazon doing to actually lower its emissions? We're not sure, but they're buying, they're sure going out and buying some credits, Stu. Um, when you take a look at everybody buying off Amazon, just remember they're not changing their habits, neither do you. Just have them buy the credits and put it on your credit card. Yep. That's a great pun. That is a great pun. Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't quite talk about um the news out of <laughs> London today. BP boss Bernard Looney resigns after failing to reveal relationships with colleagues. Ooh, Stu, this is spicy. He resigns less than four years into his current tenure as CEO after he failed to fully disclose details of the relationships with colleagues. To give you an idea, the company had uh, said in a press release that Looney has disclosed, quote, a small number of historical relationships with colleagues prior to becoming a CEO that was revealed during a review last year, triggered by information from an anonymous source. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Further allegations were recently made after and an investigation involving some external legal counsel is now ongoing. The quote out of BP, Stu, is Mr. Looney has informed, today informed the company that he now accepts he was not fully transparent in his previous disclosures. Ooh, yikes. Not all is well over there. No, I think that we're going to put at the end of this show, Michael, the um, the prince saying, uh, not the prince, but uh, the head of OPEC going, we are actually going to throw the press out so that we can be transparent without being transparent. Yep. This is exactly what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Murray and uh, Antiklos, the company's CFO, is going to head and run the business on an interim basis, but it doesn't look like they're actually going to give him the job. You know, re remember he set out in 2020 as when he took over as CEO after really leading the upstream division in 2016 and holding various roles, BP, all the way back to 1991. Um, he pledged for uh, BP to become a net zero company by 2050 or sooner, though they've walked back those pledges. Um, what he failed to disclose, Stu, 
He failed to disclose two things. One, these relationships, and two, that the fact that when he met net zero company by 2050, he met net zero profit by 2050, not necessarily <laughs> net carbon emissions and net salary for him, by the way, you know, because you, know, you know, you're such a forward thinking guy. When he came in, when you were producing that podcast uh, and he waved at the screen, you waved back at him and everything else like the public. And you're sitting there kind of going like that. Did you go, hey, Looney, what's your. <laughs> That's up. Hey, hey, don't go to that dinner tomorrow night. Don't, <laughs> don't go to that dinner. Christmas party. <laughs> don't, don't go to do that the dinner, party. baby. Skip the Christmas party, man. Take the early flight. Take the late night flight home. Don't stay overnight. You heard it here a second. Michael <laughs> Tanner is an absolute procrastinator. Um, prognosticator. Thank what you. we need to do is this need we need to officially start the Stuart Turley for CEO of BP. I think you would make an I think we oh. just start the campaign, get you out there in London. We'll get you eating tea and crumpets. I think you could turn it around. I think I could. Uh, the sad part is if I don't know something, I'm going to call somebody up and go, what is this? <laughs> so what uh, what would be your first move as CEO of BP? Uh, Pat Bernard on the back and kind of go, uh, hey, thanks. I appreciate the job. <laughs> thanks for thanks for giving me a low bar to step over. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Um, no, my what else first, you got? Oh, no, my first job would be to actually try to emulate the great American oil and gas companies trying to deliver a profit without having to go too far uh, off the green edge like lemmings. So you're just, you're diving into lower 48. You moving oh, headquarters to Houston? I absolutely. I'm in, oh, baby. America, we come. Beyond petroleum becomes better petroleum under Stu. Uh, it's actually British petroleum. And they went to beyond petroleum because they thought they were funny. And you're going to make it better petroleum. See, I'm just doing the marketing for you, Stu. I'm going to move the headquarters out of the UK into Ooh. the US. Oh, you heard it here first, board of directors. There's your there's your resume. So, all right, Stu, what else you got for us? What should we be scared about? <laughs> Nothing. Just besides, buckle you, besides you being named CEO of BP, that's scary. Well, and, and the cool thing is, right after being uh, CEO of BP, Putin's going to come over and go, hey, would you take over Gazprom? Man? That's really, it's your stepping stone to Gazprom. <laughs> Didn't BP have a place of didn't they own part of Rofsnet? so you could easily they, just slip over into Rofsnet. they did uh in fact they basically had to almost abandon it uh during that and they took a black eye they did well all right well uh we'll let you folks get out of here we, we appreciate you guys checking us out here on world's greatest energy news podcast for Stuart turley i'm michael tanner we'll see you tomorrow folks 